think some of you, maybe most of you are aware, but about twice a month, I drive up to uh, the little town of Kemp, uh, to the Kemp Church of Christ, and I preach at their evening service. So twice a month, they get a rerun, they get a leftover, whatever you got, you know, as long as it goes over good here, it should go over good in Kemp too. I've done that for years, I've done that ever since I've, I've gotten to Kansas, and for the last 13 years, right around there anyway, uh, it's been a pretty easy drive. To get to Kemp, you take 49 north out of town. When you get to 133, you take a left. When you get to 130, you take a right. And when you get to the Kemp Road, you take a left. And it's that easy. Boom, you're there. But for the last few months and for the next several months, the drive is a little more complicated. The bridge is out on 133. Some of you have discovered that. And so you have to find your way around 133. Now, there's a very easy and convenient detour. It's called the Antioch Road. And it's just about a mile north of 133. It's a nice straight road. It's paved. It's just fine, except right now everybody is using the Antioch Road. And the Antioch Road was never designed, never intended to handle traffic diverted from 133. And so the road, since this began in March, I believe, the, the building project, since it began in March, the Antioch Road has started to show a lot of wear, a lot of cracks, a lot of bumps. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody rolled over their vehicle on the Antioch Road. Now the thing is, the Antioch Road looks fine. Or it looked fine. It's mostly straight. It, it looked perfectly good. It's paved. But as I understand it, and I'm not a structural engineer or anything, but as I understand it, underneath the Antioch Road, there is basically wet soil. Uh, wet soil that was never designed and never intended to support the weight of fully loaded semi-traffic, let alone fully loaded semis every day over and over again. Now that all that extra wear and tear and pressure on the Antioch Road has caused it to start crumbling and start cracking. And before the bridge is fixed on 133, they will likely need to do some more repair on the Antioch Road. I was thinking about that this week as I looked at the end of 1 Peter. That verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, this is the true grace of God Stand firm in it. That is the verse we started this study of 1 Peter with. That is Peter's key verse. That is Peter's thesis statement for the entire letter. This is the true grace of God. Well, that right there tells me that there is likely a false grace out there somewhere. There is a grace that will let you down. There is a grace that is false. It will give you false hope. It will give you a false sense of security, a false understanding of who God is and what he calls us to. Now, the call of the letter, the, the force of the letter is not just to understand the true grace of God. The, the force of the letter is to stand firm in it, to stand firm in the grace of God, that your faith, your understanding of who God is would provide a stable foundation for your life. The problem with many of us is not that we're not strong. We're, we're capable, and, and we, we are strong, and, and, and we, we have the ability to stand. The, 
the problem is, like the Antioch Road, we can only stand so much. And after a while, the, the pressure and the, uh, the problems and, and the, the troubles that we go through just start, uh, we, we go through too much too long and, and we no longer have that solid foundation. Now, nothing in this letter, nothing in 1 Peter says that life's going to be easy. In fact, it's, it's just the opposite. Over and over again, Peter has warned us about, about sufferings and about fiery trials and about beatings and about persecution. And for five chapters, the call has been to endure, to stand firm, and to thrive. And so here we get right towards the end, the last few, chapter, last few verses of, of chapter 5. And, and Peter does not let up. Rather, he promises that life is going to be hard. He promises that you are going to have struggles. He promises that you have enemies who are against you, who want to destroy you, but thrive anyway. Even when everything is against you, God has equipped you to thrive anyway. We're going to look at 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. If you're using those Bibles in the pews, it is page 1017. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter begins with a very important reminder for us, something that we should never forget, and that is that we live in a world that doesn't want you to thrive. We live in a world that doesn't want your faith to thrive. From the very beginning of the letter, Peter has addressed us as exiles. He's addressed us as, as resident aliens. He said, you don't belong here. This world is not your home. You're just a passing through. And over and over again, he's shown us how this world is turned against us. So here in the last few verses, he does that by identifying our enemies in this world. He says in verse 9, he says, The same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So in other words, this is universal. Those times when you feel very alone because of what you're going through, you're not alone. The same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by other believers throughout the world. It's universal. These are your enemies. Understand them. Identify them. And you know, the very first enemy he mentions, it's yourself. The very first enemy he mentions is you. It's, it's yourself. It's your own mind. It's your own heart. It's your own self that is that part of yourself that's turned against God. He says in verses 6 and 7, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So let me ask you, does anybody here, has anyone here ever had 
an anxiety, just one. Has anyone ever had? How about a lot of anxieties? Anyone can show me some hands. Who's had anxieties? You've had anxieties? Okay, great. So he's talking to you. He's talking about you and me. What makes you think we were ever intended to carry those? What makes you think we were ever intended to, to carry those anxieties? But we do. We carry them. Not only do we carry them, we nurture them. We stay up late at night feeding them, don't we? You know, we start off with a little anxiety. We stay up late at night, and we feed that anxiety, and it gets bigger and bigger. We give it more anxieties to play with. We just let it get absolutely huge. But what do we gain? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You realize that when you do that, you weren't meant to carry those anxieties. Look at that scripture. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You weren't intended to carry those anxieties. When you, when you do that, that's disobedience to God. It's disobedient to do that. Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him. Literally, he says, throw them on him. Throw them on him. It's like it's, like it's a hot potato. You know, you got to get rid of that anxiety as quick as you can. Just toss it back to God when it, when it comes. What he's really saying is it's an act of will. You're not going to give up anxieties. You're not, you're not just going to fumble and drop them. You have to willfully give them up. You have to willfully throw those anxieties to God. Why do you do that? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Let me turn that around. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you cared for you, if you really cared for yourself, you would give God those anxieties. You would cast those anxieties to God because he cares for you. Now, the second enemy he identifies, the second enemy he mentions, he identifies as the devil. And he compares the devil to a, a roaring lion hunting its prey, looking for weakness. You know, lions, you've, you've seen the animal planet, you know, you've seen Discovery Channel. The, the lion goes around looking for weakness. It looks for that weak member of the herd. It looks for the slow member of the herd. Probably looking for the member of the herd that is weighed down by anxieties and worries and those things, okay? The lion is looking for the weakest member of the herd. Peter identifies him as your adversary. He says, your adversary, the devil. That's a legal term. That is, an adversary was your opponent in a lawsuit. Your adversary is the one who is trying to convict you, the one who is trying to to make you guilty. He's trying to convince the judge that you are guilty. But Peter says this is the true grace of God. By the true grace of God, you are not guilty. Your guilt has been removed through the true grace of God. You think about what Jesus has done, about his carrying your sin, carrying your shame, even carrying your anxieties and setting you free. And Peter says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm against your enemies and stand with God. And that's, an important, that's important to realize because thriving, thriving begins with a call to action. You're not going to thrive by accident. You're not going to stumble into thriving which means that if your faith is not thriving, if you are someone who is not experiencing thriving faith right now, the problem isn't with the faith. The problem isn't out there. The problem isn't somebody else. The problem is you haven't taken that stand yet. You haven't 
stood firm, as Peter calls us to. You haven't answered God's call to thrive. You haven't taken decisive action against your enemies. <clears throat> now, how do we do that? Verse 6, he tells us, first of all, humble yourselves. Now, that's a matter of realizing it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about your power. It's not about your ability to fix life, fix your anxieties. It's about trusting God. It comes with a promise. You see there in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It really means he will exalt you. Don't hear that as a wishy-washy, he may do it, he may not. But at the proper time, he will exalt you. If I'm trusting in my own strength, if I'm trusting in my own abilities to, uh, to get through this, maybe, maybe I'll stand firm in the end. Maybe I'll make it. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I can fix my anxieties. Maybe I'm strong enough, but, but I can't be sure. But if I'm trusting God, he will. He will, at the proper time, in his time, he will raise me up. What about our adversary, the devil? Verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. And you realize, this is the third time Peter has said, be sober-minded in this letter. He said it three times. Do you think it might be important? Do you think it might be important? Do you think it might be important if someone says it three times, three times, three times? It might be important. Back in chapter 1, verse, um, verse 13, he said, be sober-minded, and set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you. So that's important. In chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. It means pay attention to what's going on. And here, it is tied to being watchful, for being prepared for our enemy, for our enemy's attack. I think Peter is referencing himself here. Back in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, they're in the upper room. It's the night before the crucifixion. Peter is promising Jesus, these, these guys may fall away, but I'm never going to fall away. You remember what Jesus told him? He said, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. That night, if you remember in the garden, Peter wasn't watchful, was he? He wasn't sober-minded. He wasn't praying, and he failed Jesus. So Peter says here, be sober-minded, be watchful. Back in June, two months ago, and you know, two months and a day, June 1st, Kathleen, Catherine, excuse me, Catherine Chappelle was on safari in South Africa. She was taking a photo tour through a park, through a lion sanctuary. Now there is one rule when you're driving through the lion sanctuary. Do you know what that rule is? Keep your windows rolled up. That's the rule. Uh, obviously, stay inside the vehicle also, but you shouldn't have to be told that. But the rule was, keep your window up. And Catherine Chappelle, her vehicle pulls up to this group of lions laying there, and so she decides she needs to get a picture, and apparently she didn't realize that glass is transparent. You can shoot pictures through it. She rolled the window down like that impossibly fast, impossible to react to. The lion came through the window, killed her right there, almost instantly. Don't think you're going to outsmart your adversary. Don't think you're going to outsmart this enemy. You are not faster than him. 
All it took was one window rolled down and her life is gone. And all it takes is one little opportunity, one little way in, and your adversary will devour you. One, one secret sin that no one knows about and that you've never confessed because you kind of like it. One little habit that no one knows about. One little improper thought. One little weakness. And he attacks. Peter says, resist him. I don't think we know how to do that anymore. I don't think people resist the devil. I don't think we even think about it. I think we treat him more like a house cat than a lion. You know, we play with him. We dangle things in front of him. You know, chase the spot. Chase the little laser pointer. You know, we have fun with him. We, we, we play with him. We, we tease him. Sometimes we do his work for him. Devil is not his name. Devil is a title. Do you know what devil means? It means the slanderer. That's what the name devil, the title devil means. It means the slanderer because that's what he does. He slanders us before God. And in, in, in uh, Revelation, it says that, that, that he is before God as the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us night and day before God. He is the slanderer. Slander is one of those things that's real easy to fall into. It's real easy to fall in the trap of slandering someone. It is so easy. I mean, you know, I've preached on gossip before. I've talked about this before. It is so easy just to run your mouth and run someone else down. It is so easy to put someone down, to say things that, that are not true, to slander people in front of others to make yourself look better. Here's a no-brainer, but let me ask the question. When you slander someone... Are you doing Jesus' work when you slander someone? No? Just no. Give me a no. Who's, who is identified with slander in the Bible? Oh, it's the devil. So are you doing his work for him when you slander people? Yes, you're doing his work. Stop it. Don't do that. Don't let anything like that come out of your mouth. Don't do the devil's work for him. Resist him. Pay attention be watchful. Now here's the problem. You can't do all these things on your own. You can't thrive on your own power. And, and for that reason, we have to trust God and we have to understand that God promises to provide for us to thrive. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it guess what it's about grace it's about grace it's not about you it's not about your strength it's not about your ability it's about what God does for you so what does God do for you well in verse 10 it says after you have suffered a little while let me pause there let me pause right there after you have suffered a little while I want to point something out thriving includes suffering. Thriving includes suffering. There are people out there with false grace, with a false gospel that tells you if you're suffering, you must have done something wrong. If you're sick, if you're not making enough money, if you are suffering in any way, then it is God's punishment on you. You've done something wrong. You have sinned, and it's your fault. Is that what Peter says? No. He says, after you have suffered a little while. Thriving and suffering are not mutually exclusive. 
Thriving involves suffering. If you're suffering, you're halfway there. You're halfway to thriving. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There are four promises here. Four promises of what God Himself, God Himself will do for you because you cannot do these things for yourself. What will He do? He will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen. And He will establish you. Now what do those four promises mean? Restore. It means to repair. It means to fix that which is broken. Now when you and I do that, when you and I fix something that's broken, we use duct tape, right? Or we use bailing wire. Uh, I have a chair at home that is broken, uh, and I tried to fix it. It's a metal chair. I tried to fix it with JB Weld. Danny's shaking his head because he knows better. It was, it was a stupid idea, but I thought, maybe this one time it will live up to its hype. Maybe this one time it will actually do what it says on the back of the package it will do. And so I restored the chair with J.B. Weld, and then I very gingerly sat in the chair, and it fell apart. But when God restores us, He doesn't use duct tape. He doesn't use bailing wire. He doesn't use super glue. He doesn't use J.B. Weld. When God restores us, He recreates us. He rebuilds us. He remakes us as though we were never broken in the first place. He makes us whole. He makes us perfect. He makes us complete. We are no longer broken. It means He puts us together right. And then He confirms us. Well, what does that mean? You know, when, when, when that chair broke, I, I sat in it very, very easily. You know, I, I, I was really cautious because the reason it broke is Connor came in and flopped down in it one day and I heard it go bang and I knew it was busted. So I, I sat in it very, very cautiously because I thought maybe if I just treat it nice, you know, maybe it will heal up on its own. But, you know, we got to be careful for a while. It didn't work. We do that when things are broken. We, we're very cautious around them for a while. You know, you break the chair, you don't sit in it really hard. You, you break the vase, you, you put it someplace where it's not going to get knocked over. You bake, break the relationship. Stop trusting that person because you don't want it to break again. You get your heart broken and so you toughen it up and you don't want it to break again. Peter says he restores and he confirms. It means that he sets us so that we can't be broken again. He cares for us so that we can't be broken again. He sets us firmly in place. It's not going to break again. And then He strengthens us. The strength here means that He makes us more able. He makes us more capable. So when those stresses hit the next time, we're not going to break. When those problems come the next time, those anxieties come, we're not going to break the next time. It contrasts with our own weaknesses, our own failings. He makes us strong. So that when you resist the devil this time, you can resist the devil again. So that when you decide you're not going to slander that person today, chances are tomorrow 
you won't slander them either. He strengthens us. And then Peter says he will establish you. It means he, he lays that foundation underneath you. He sets you on a rock. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You notice something about those words? There's no doubt. There's no maybe in those words. This world is going to hurt you. This world is going to hurt you. Thrive anyway. Satan is going to attack you. Thrive anyway. People are going to slander you. Thrive anyway. Worries are going to come. Thrive anyway. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you so that you can thrive anyway. Peter gets to the end. <coughs> and you look at what he's done. I mean, for five chapters, he's told us how horrible life is. For five chapters in 1 Peter, he tells us that life is a struggle, that life is hard, and it's going to be bad. And, and then he spent the last five verses telling us we're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked by this world. You're going to be attacked by other people. You're going to be attacked by yourself because you can't give those worries over to God. And you are going to be attacked by the devil. And still, in the very next verse, he can't stop himself. He breaks out into praise. And he says in verse 11, to him, to God, be the dominion forever. I love that word, dominion. In Greek, in the original Greek, it's not one word. It's actually a phrase. It's several words strung together. In, in Greek, he actually says, to him, to God, be the might of the ages forever and ever. Amen. To him be the might of the ages. And I love that because it's a reminder to me that my own might fails and my own might fails more as I ages. It continues to fail, and yet God's might never fails. He never lets us down. When I trust God, I can trust His grace. Do you notice Peter calls Him the God of all grace? That's a great promise. Because whatever situation you've gotten yourself into today, there is grace for that. Whatever you're holding on to that you haven't turned over to God, there is grace for that. Whatever worries are ahead of you in the future, there, are, there is grace for that. He is the God of all grace. To Him is the might of the ages forever and ever. When I trust Him, when I trust His grace, His might never fails. No matter what life throws at me, I can thrive anyway. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the rock upon which you build your life. This is where you take your stand. And I know there are going to be days when thriving feels like the furthest thing from what you're capable of doing, when, when you just feel like there is no way that you're going to be able to thrive. But you have a God of, of all grace who has Himself restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established you, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. To Him be the dominion. 
To him be the might of the ages, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.